Good morning to those listening in on the live stream. We know there's a lot of people out with sick kiddos. My, uh, one of mine is out sick today. My wife texted me from urgent care at 9 o'clock this morning. There was a two-hour wait, so there is a lot of sickness. So if you want to go to urgent care, you might want to try a video thing first. I don't know if that's even a thing. But we are glad you're here. We are glad that you are ready to encounter joy as we continue to have uh, this series of joy impact. And we started the, uh, the definition of the joy series with a, a definition by Rick Warren. It says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. It is a quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Now, we talked last week. If you weren't here last week, let me catch you up. We talked last week about how the first two items of that definition we liked. The idea that God is in control. All right. And the fact that we should have a quiet confidence that every little thing's going to be all right, like we just sang about. Yes. Right? And then we talked about determined choice to praise God in every situation. How are we doing? Last week, we talked about that apart from understanding our joy and our salvation, understanding what we are saved from, we will not have joy. And so we asked you to, last week, identify one area of your life that you are not, compl- that you are not giving over completely to God and to commit to walk through the process of healing with Him leading to restorative joy. Let me give you a, a little inside information. I'm going to give you some statistics because people love statistics, right? Statistics say that when you walk out of this room, that 73% or so of the words that I've shared with you will already be gone. (laughs) Isn't that cheerful? And that by tomorrow morning, about 96%, 93 to 96% of what I say, you will not remember. Wow. So we're like, so Daniel, can I go ahead and check out for that 96%? That was a joke. No one laughed. It was a poor joke, apparently. But here's the point. We don't want you to come in here and be gathered in to just randomly listen so that you can understand the doctrine or be indoctrinated by what I'm saying. The point of what we're trying to teach you in here is how to stay connected with God every moment of every day so that when you're not in the presence of the believers, when you're not having a pastor teach you, You are connected with God. That's why we do these daily trainings. And if you really want to walk in joy, you're going to have to actually do the work to walk there. So after you know what you are saved from, we need to begin to understand that after we understand that what God is saving us from, the journey is far from over. In fact, it is is just our beginning. And so we rest in the fact that The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, let let me unpack that. We talked last week about how West Lafayette, the greater Lafayette, or even Indiana, is not the promised land. So you're like, Daniel, you're from Texas. Are you going to go there? No, Texas is not the promised land. The promised land is not on this earth. It is the life that is to come. And so when we have joy in the difficult circumstances of our life, how do we, we rest in, in the fact that the joy of the Lord is to be our strength? 
This is the point when I want to tell you by about Wednesday, for those of you who don't know how my sermon week preparation goes, by Wednesday I try to be fine-tuning the message so that we can have the slides up. And then on Wednesday we have what we call, I call the marinating period begins. That's when the word really begins to um, soak in and I really get excited about it. The problem was this Wednesday I was not very excited about the sermon. How do you like that for candid? And that's okay, that happens occasionally. I, I was having some writer's block, so Thursday came around and I, I had a great doctrinal message that I just wasn't very excited to preach, and Friday came around, and yesterday came around, and I remember thinking, well, maybe I'm going to preach a sermon tomorrow that I'm not super excited about. And I was like, but it's on joy. I didn't sleep much last night. And I woke up this morning and rewrote the second half of this message, and you're going to see that because there won't be slides for it. And I think what I've recognized and what I realize is how good and faithful God is for those who seek Him. And that's how we know that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we're going to be looking in Nehemiah chapter 8. Let me give you a little background of the story of Nehemiah. It's an Old Testament book. You Maybe you not know much about it. Nehemiah is a corollary book to the book of Ezra. In fact, some people think that was the same book. Ezra and Nehemiah were originally written by the, the same person, recorded this, and they were intentionally written to be one book, and they then later split them. I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is God uses the stories found in Ezra and Nehemiah to demonstrate his faithful love when the people of Israel had been unfaithful. Anytime you hear the word Israel, especially in the Old Testament, I want you to think of the church. It was the representative of God's people, the church. And so God's people hadn't been faithful, and they were allowed to be carried into exile. Why were they carried into exile? Because they had not been faithful. They weren't following God. They weren't doing what God asked them to do. And by not doing what God asked them to do, they missed the way that God could protect them. Does that happen? Do we ever find ourselves somewhere going, how did I end up here? Why God? It's like, you quit listening to me. And so God allowed them to be carried away to exile because they weren't listening. And so Ezra tells the story of God's people returning to build the temple and of a prophet that would re-educate the people about God's word. Now, why was that important? Because when they were dispersed, guess what they didn't have? The internet. They did not have the access to the Bible. They did not have access to, there were printing press, the Gutenberg printing press, in case you don't know this, revolutionized the world. Because it gave us access to the Bible. It gave us access to books being mass produced. In the old days, they had scrolls, and they would read them. And guess what? When they got dispersed, they didn't sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. I know that the enemy is carrying me off, but can you allow me to take about a year to transcribe the Scripture so that I can take it with me? That didn't happen. So they didn't hear the Word of God. So Ezra started bringing them back and started re-educating the next generation about what it meant to follow God. Nehemiah also conveys the story of even more people returning home and the obstacles that faced them. And one of the key elements of the book of the Nehemiah involved people rebuilding the walls of the city to provide them protection. So the background of this story is around 50,000 people from the church. Think about Rossaid almost full. Rossaid Stadium almost full. Of God's people who were not knowing the word of God. 
And they gathered together and people began to teach. The priests began to teach. This is the word of the Lord. The, the walls had been rebuilt. Their protection barriers were up, but they started realizing a couple of things. So that's the background. In Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at Ross 8, I mean the square in front of the water gate. And then they asked the scribe Ezra to bring on the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. And on the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding, basically kids. And when, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read it from daybreak until noon before the men, women, and all who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Daybreak until noon. You think I preach long sermons. And guess what it says? They listened attentively. That's right. Sometimes I know when you're not. I'm not going to point any out. They listened because they were impacted by the word of the God. Now, this is important because we need to understand that when you come home from exile, when you've been a prodigal, when you, it's been a while since you've really tried to follow God or, or walk with God or hear from God, one of the first steps to coming home in one's faith journey is to begin to really listen to what God has to say. But there's one problem. When we begin to listen to what God has to say, sometimes it's very, very convicting. Nehemiah 8, 8 through 9. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites, think of the religious leaders, who were instructing the people, said to all of them, The day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. Now that word weep there, let me, let me, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. That is not what it's talking about. It's talking about a despondent state with no hope. Do not have a despondent state with no hope. Why? Because God is with you. So why were they weeping? They were weeping because of contrition. They felt remorse. Contrition was from last week's sermon. You can go to yourcalvary.church and find that at your Calvary. That's right. Yourcalvary.church and find out that sermon last week. Why were they weeping? They were overwhelmed by the sheer volume of their disobedience and rebellion. Have you ever walked back into like, okay, I want to try to start living for God and I'm really, and then all of a sudden you start going, man, there's so much in my life that it seems askew from what God is asking me to do. I don't even know where to begin. And so it's easier to go back into exile it's easier to go back to the prodigal life than to actually do what God has to say. Why were they weeping? They began to realize that what they needed protection from the most was themselves. Once again, why were they carried away? Because they had quit listening to God who is going to direct them and guide them and guard them. God will not force you to walk away if you choose to do that. 
You see, the sin we encounter in this world will at times be overwhelming. So how are we supposed to live this life? We've been saved, but we're still struggling on this earth. How are we supposed to have joy? That goes back to what I was talking to you about, the fact that this is not our home. The promised land is the next life to come. But even though the promised land is the next life to come, it doesn't mean we should walk around like this. Oh, God is so full of joy. But how do we balance that with with the reality that this life is hard, right? This is why I was struggling with how do you preach this message when there are difficult circumstances? How do you preach this message? And ultimately, you have to wrap it back around to you come to the conclusion that what he's really saying is when the circumstances of this world overwhelm us, it is the joy of the Lord knowing that God is working in our lives that is to be our strength. Do you get it? You know, your faces don't seem to act like you got it. People ask me all the time, can you see me? Yes. <laughs> Unless you sit up really close, then I have to really be intentional about that. So if you don't want me to see you, there's space up front, people. <laughs> you who sit in the back, I got your every move. When we look at this and we start going, the joy of the Lord is my strength. What does that look like? Nehemiah 8, 10 through 12 says this. Then he said to them, go and eat, which is rich. Drink what is sweet and send portions to those who have nothing prepared, since today is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the religious leaders, the Levites, quieted all the people, saying, Be still, since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration because they'd understood the words that were explained to them. Now, the word there, do not grieve. You can cry and be a faithful follower of Jesus. If if I die, I hope my wife has a tear. Right? But it's saying, I will not be despondent without So he says there, go eat which is rich and drink what is sweet. What is rich? The fatty part of the meat. I love that. Cardiologists hate it. But he was saying, eat the fatty part because it will sustain you. And I was like, that's awesome. Um, Drink the good stuff that's sweet and celebrate. Why are you acting so sad? You should be filled with joy because God will sustain you. So halfway through this week, I had another part of this sermon. And halfway through this week, I was ready to really... (sighs) But instead, I want to invite you to a place. I want to invite you on your journey to imagine that you're sitting in the middle of that Roth aid crowd. And you've come back, and let's say that you were encountering the words of God for the first time. And you let the words of God speak for themselves. And you listened as those words poured out over you and began to teach you more of him. 
I'm going to now read a whole bunch of scriptures with very little commentary. And I want to invite you to do very similarly, although they would have read different passages, to let the word of God speak to you to see how the Lord is the joy of our strength. We're going to begin our journey in Psalms 139, 13 through 17. These will not be on the screen if you want to write them down. If you want to close your eyes to listen to them, you can. Just don't fall asleep. If you want to look up, if you want to look down, if whatever, just listen to God's words over you. You were carefully created. For you knit, you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I praise you. I, know, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you, and when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. You were carefully created. And you're created to have a purpose. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak, for I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young, for you must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I put my words in your mouth. Even though we were made with a purpose and we were made carefully, we walked away from this. Romans 3.23, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, causing us to be exiled from who he was. So as a result, we must acknowledge our sin. 1 John 1, 5-9, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We have to acknowledge our sin. But in our sin, we need to remember we are not forgotten. John three sixteen and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes and him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So how are we saved? We have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, 9. If we confess with your mouth, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's grace that saves us, not our actions. Ephesians 2, 3 through 9, 
we all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature under wrath as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. That gives me goosebumps every time I read that. So that in the coming age he may display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from work so that no one can boast. So there's nothing you can do to attain God's favor. There's nothing you can do to attain God's love. God just loves you and you have to receive the gift. And if you've never done that, we'd love to talk to you more. Stop to buy us in the next step space and say, how do I become a follower of Jesus? But that's not where it stops. Our lives are to be lived for the glory of God. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies, in view of the grace we just talked about of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God so that we don't go back into exile, right? We need each other because we have received this calling. We are to partner together. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's the calling? To make your life an act of worship with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all. That should be it. Except that this life is hard. Because not everybody's going to do that. So how do we live that out with a purpose? 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, since we have this ministry because we are shown mercy, we do not give up. Instead, we have renounced the secret and shameful things, not acting deceitfully or distorting the word of God, but commending ourselves before God to everyone's conscience by an open display of the truth. But if our gospel is hidden or veiled, it is hidden to those who are perishing, in their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servant for the Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness, and has shown our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We have access to God, and we can live for him as a result. So as we follow in that and we don't give up, it still will seem hard, but we can trust that God will take care of us. Matthew 6, 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than any of them? Can any of you add one more moment to his life by lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wildflowers on the field. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his splendor was not adorned like one of these. So that if that's how God clothes the grass on the fields, right? If that's how God ordains, uh, clothes the grass on the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, why won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry. Saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we will? For the Gentiles, those who aren't following God, eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles on its own. So how do we navigate it when that comes up? When trials hit, you ask God to direct your path. Matthew 6, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? I hope not many of you. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If then, you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So how do we know that we're staying close to him? You have to choose to stay close to him. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. How? He will give you wisdom. James 1, 2-5, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you experience various trials, Consider it great joy. Oh, that's a couple of weeks ahead, but we're going to go ahead and cover this passage today because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. And the result of that wisdom is he will direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding, but the wisdom of God. That last little part I threw in there. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Amen. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Don't get distracted by this world. 1 Peter 2, 11-12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to obtain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. 
conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, those who don't go to church, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify the God on the day he visits. Don't get distracted, but rather live out your mission. Matthew 28, 19 through 20 says, there, Go therefore and make disciples or followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you even to the end of the age. Why is that important? Because the end of the age will come, and when that happens, for those that have follow Jesus, we will be resurrected. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. What am I saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. And in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through the Lord our Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Are you getting a little joy in the strength, right? Are you getting a little bit of that? In Revelation 21, we will one day rest with God in eternity. Then I, I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God of heaven, prepared like a bride adored for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. You can count on it. Why? Because I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I will freely give to the thirsty. You see, as I was preparing the sermon that suddenly occurred to me, Daniel, you don't have the words to say. The joy of the Lord is our strength, not because of anything a preacher says. The joy of the Lord is our strength because the Lord is here and knowable. Because he is the way maker. He is the healer, the comforter. And while we're wandering through our exile, the promised land, it is a coming.
So whatever comes your way, you can trust that God has a way. So here's our daily training application. Search to find verses that will point you to God's truth with an area you need to give over to him. How do I do that? There's this thing called Google. Don't, you can Google things like Google verses on trust, right? Don't read the blogs because their blogs could be written by Daniel Berry and Daniel Berry is just a man, right? Read God's word. Read the verses. Let them soak into the marrow of your bones and let them help you find strength. Because God's word helps us overcome our obstacles. It helps you have trust. It helps you have peace. It helps you have faith. It will guard your future. It will help you to overcome temptation, addictions, worry. It will help you practice confession. It will help you with your parenting. Can I get a witness? It will help you with your singleness, your broken marriage, your grieving, how to love someone hard to love, how to work on your neighbor, etc., etc. God has not forgotten you. And his word will speak to you if you listen. That's how you have the joy of the Lord. And let it be your strength. You let him speak to you. So maybe this is how we unpack this from Nehemiah. Listen again. Then he said, go eat, which is rich, his word. Drink what is sweet, his scripture. And send portions to those who have nothing prepared, those who don't know the word of God. Help them know it. Since today is holy, this moment right here, right now is holy. This is a chance for you to go, I am going to be made new. Do not have a despondent hope. Do not grieve. Because the joy of the Lord is to be your strength. And the Levites quieted the people saying, be still since today is holy. Don't grieve. Then all the people began to eat and drink the word, right? And send portions and have a great celebration. I'm excited about that. Because they had understood the words that were explained to them, that God is the peace, God is the hope, God is the strength, God is the joy. I don't have it in me. God is the way maker.